Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. So cool to hear those stories, isn't it? Six kids at Appleton this past school year. Church, this is low-hanging fruit. We're in peach season. We get this. It's low-hanging fruit. This is easy. It's something we can do. And uh, to use another analogy, it's baseball season also. I want to talk about this, though, from this angle as, as pastor. They don't have to do this part. I have not given enough to this, this over the past two years. We as a church, I think, have done this. We've come up to the plate, and we've kind of dropped the bat at this. And last year, they, we kind of knocked it into the infield, just dribbled out into the infield. We had maybe three, four volunteers from River of Life helping with that. Wouldn't it be awesome if we hit it out of the ballpark, 10, 12 volunteers every week, a part of that, so that we could have 80 kids, 100 kids at that at that program every week. This would be awesome. Great opportunity for us, the church body. Is God knocking on your heart to be a part of this? I've committed our church staff to be there every once in a while. We'll be dropping in to be a part of it and uh, want, want to help keep this going forward. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel with unchurched kids and also teach church kids another chance to teach them the Bible. And so I hope that you would uh, go back and talk to them after the service, find out all the information. If Appleton isn't your school where you have time or doesn't work for you, there's, there's all these other schools in the Valley that also could use help. We're going to switch gears here and talk about uh, something else. Well, first of all, what happened to your friends? Second service. This is usually our full service. I don't know what happened. First service was like packed enough. We almost were going to add chairs and then second service. So maybe everybody did that. Also, there's 40 to 50 of our people up at Island Lake with the youth group family camp out. So there's a bunch of families up there having a good time up there and they're having a worship service together this morning. But uh, it's good to see you guys here. Um, how many of you love change? <laughs> Only a couple of hands. <laughs> Most of you are like, no, don't change things. We're changing things today. And uh, we're going to switch up our order of things. What I'm going to do this is preach early in the service here. And then we're going to come to our worship time later. And you'll see why after uh, we go through this morning. And I think, I think it'll be a blessing to us. It was in first service as we've marched through that. Let's pray and ask the Lord to uh, anoint our time in the word today. Jesus, we're about to come to your word that is spoken to us. We would ask that this morning, as, as we look at it, you would cast light on it, that it becomes understandable to us, and that it would move us forward in our walk with you. God, we want true rejoicing inside of our lives and inside of our hearts as we encounter your word and as we worship. Would you bring that to us in our lives? God, as I look around our church and our congregation this morning, there are so many stories of your work and things that you're doing in the lives of our people. There's so many ways that you're working at River of Life in our community. And God, we're just, we're, we're very grateful for the fact that you don't give up on us and you keep pressing into our lives. This morning, meet us in the word. Fill us with your spirit. Uh, help me to have clarity of thought and word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you think God is mainly happy or mad? Do you think God is mainly happy or mad? 
Or does it have to be just one or the other? The way that you answer that question would affect drastically how you relate to God. When I was a junior in college, that question was posed to me through a book that I was reading by John Piper called Desiring God. And it was a question that literally rocked my faith. I had never really thought of God as being happy. And in, the, in those kinds of terms, could he actually be happy? One of the main premises in this book is the gladness or the happiness of God. That if I am to delight in God and enjoy God and find, find my life in him, how could I possibly do that if he's not a happy God? How could that be displayed? I was revisiting this idea uh, this past week as I went and looked at an article that I had read some years back that talked about three lies that would challenge the idea of God's happiness. One of those lies is this, is that our Heavenly Father is just like our earthly fathers. Some grew up in homes where our earthly fathers had quite a bit of anger or even just a piece of anger in their lives. And so we, looked, we can look at God and assume he must be just the same. Therefore, we define him that way. Another lie that would try to contradict the idea of the happiness of God is that God is not getting his way in the world. As if God looks at the world and is frustrated over and over because he doesn't get what he wants. And therefore, he's growing more and more upset with the world and you and I. That's a lie. He is getting what he wants. It is going to end up the way he wants. He will be king. Another lie that this article confronts is that God is undone by our sin every day. That is if he looks at me and he goes, Brian, again? Oh my goodness, when are you going to stop? And he's growing more and more and more upset with me over time. Do you ever battle with some of those lies in your life? Those thoughts that creep up? Our God is a happy God. We know that the Father and the Son exist full and, in, in full and perfect joy in each other. The verse that really changed my thinking on this was John chapter 17, verse 13, where Jesus said, I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus described himself as joyful. He has joy, he said. He is a joy-filled God. And he went on in that prayer just a few verses later, and he said, I've made known to them your name, the Father's name, and I will come to make it known. And I, Sorry, I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, you and I, and I in them. See, the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father, this, this perfect fellowship in the whole, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit produces a, a pure, complete, and divine joy which Christ welcomes us into. John Piper said in his book, Jesus made God known so that God's pleasure in his Son might be in us and become our pleasure in him. Our God is a happy God. He's happy in himself, in who he is, and what he's accomplished through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And he welcomes us into that. That thought was revolutionary to me as a junior in college. People had not talked to me about that before. In fact, as I looked around at the church, many of the people that I knew did not necessarily reflect the idea of a joy-filled God. 
So if God is joyful, if he's happy, could Jesus' followers like you and I actually revel in him so much and abide in the vine so intimately that we have that same joy? This summer as a church, we've been making our way through a series on different spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. And we've looked at a number of those. We've been talking about the idea of these practices. Most of us don't like the word disciplines, do we? Because discipline is a tough idea. I don't want to be disciplined in life. Disciplines in this sense is simply the practices of the Christian. The ways that we come to Christ and seek him. And I picked some normal ones like prayer and being in the word. And months ago when I penned out this series, I picked a couple of weird ones. This is one of the weird ones. The the discipline of celebration. And as I came to it again these last couple of weeks and was beginning to think about where we would head with this 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 week, I struggled with it at first, but it's so rooted in Scripture. Spiritual disciplines must be rooted in Scripture. They must come out of that. We don't just invent them, make them up. They're rooted in Scripture. And what we'll find today is that this idea of the discipline of celebration, it's rooted in a theology of God like we just saw. It's modeled for us, and we're going to see that in just a moment. It's commanded to us, and I'll show you that after we look at how it's modeled. And it's provided for us, and I'll show that to you last. Now, here's the thing. I'm cautious going into this, because we could dissect this idea of celebration and take the heart completely out of it. It's like trying to write a book about how to have fun, (laughs) step by step. We could ruin it, right? It should be something that's, that's an overflow. It should be deep within us. But at the same time, I do think there's, there's a lot of benefit of looking at what Scripture says about this idea of celebration throughout the Word and discovering some of that. And I think it will aid us as a church. It will it'll propel us forward as a church body as we look at this. To me, it kind of seems like this, though. Like, are we really allowed to celebrate? Like, Can we really talk about this and go down this road? Have you ever noticed that in some ways to be a Christian at times comes across as we have to become really serious? I can celebrate, but only outside of these walls. And when I walk in, I need to be a little more serious. And I need to make sure you know how serious I am. But also, the busy pace of life and ministry, sometimes there's a lot of good going on. Even within a church body, we can be so busy that it's, we do one thing, and then we're on to the next thing, and then we're on to the next thing, that we don't take time to really celebrate. There are other parts of this, though, that play into it. Maybe you have felt like the more the world gets mad out there, it just is going crazy, and we look outside and we're like, goodness, do you see what's happening? Is God even going to, is he going to come through? Is he not? What's going to go on? It's almost like that just strips some of the joy right out of Christians. And I feel like in some ways we need to hear this. We need to hear it because we're living in a place that is, would strip that right out of us if that's what we focus on. The other thing is this, the older I get, maybe you feel the same pressure. It's almost as if I feel like I need to become more serious and I cannot be undignified in my celebration. Do you feel that same kind of pressure? Like I need to conform to some sort of way of being where I, I, I cannot ever move into a place of undignity. Well, let's dive in. Celebration is all throughout the Bible. It's modeled for us throughout the Bible. Do we see celebration in it? Yes. 
There's, there are many examples of private celebration in Scripture, but most celebration is very public. And it's associated with the acts of God in Scripture. And even the enemies of God, people who don't follow Jesus, they do celebrate. But in the end, real celebration and, and joy is found in the triumph of God's purpose. That's at least what the church celebrates. So let's give an overview of some of that in Scripture. Let me give you some categories. In Scripture, we see celebration in everyday life. We can find verses that where weddings happen. Jesus was at a wedding, right? Birthdays are mentioned. Honored guests. Family reunions happen. We might say, yeah, I celebrate those things. I celebrate also anniversaries. We celebrate family, special family dates of significance in our families. So everyday life. We see it in scripture where Israel celebrated God's acts. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel set up feasts and festivals. You think of Pentecost and Passover and Purim. And worship is another category. There's worship in, in the Bible. The Psalms rejoice in God. David danced before God. Think about it. Of all the people, David was the most undignified. David danced naked before God. I mean, he worshiped freely, nakedly before the Lord. It's in the Bible. Communion meal. Think about it in the New Testament, the church celebrated communion. It was a, it's a celebration. We still celebrate that. Celebration of Christ's death and his resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 describes that. We see celebrations in the moment. Do you see those in scripture? When the ark was brought to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the dedication of the temple, 1 Kings 8, the rebuilding of the walls in the book of Nehemiah. There was celebration. The Philippian jailer who believed on Christ along with his entire family, what did he do after he believed? He threw a feast with his family. Acts chapter 16, that is. The apostles, they, in Acts 5, actually celebrated over being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. It's crazy. They celebrated in the moment. The Ethiopian eunuch, after he believed and was baptized, Acts 8, he celebrated. But earth isn't the only celebration. We also see in scripture, heaven celebrates. And heaven has the best celebrations. There is a celebration in heaven over creation, Job 38 tells us. There's a celebration in heaven over the repentance of sinners, Luke 15. Worship service in heaven. The worship service going on in heaven, recurring, Revelation chapter 5. The final judgment of Jesus, when that is completed, Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, the celebration that occurs in that moment, heaven celebrates. Celebration is modeled for us throughout Scripture. And isn't it good to know that following Christ and seeking Christ is not actually intended to be work and drudgery? There is a celebration that arches over many of the disciplines that we've talked about. There's a celebration in that. You see, life in Christ was never intended to be drudgery. And so we see it modeled. And so some of the things that we might notice out of that is that it was expressed outward, right? It wasn't just something kept to themselves. It was expressed. It was also something that it was very God-focused. When God acted, when God moved, it's all about God. That's what the joy and the focus is on. I said it was expressed. A couple of years ago, when our kids were young, we went to a circus in January in Fargo. A circus in Fargo in January is inside. So we went to the Fargo Dome, showed up, and I don't know what was happening with 
Fargo people that day. But we showed up and walked in, and everything was set for an amazing circus. And what does the audience do at a circus? There you go. You clap. You rejoice. You're, I mean, you're celebrating. It's cool. It's fun to watch the lion open his mouth and growl at the guy, right? We love that stuff. But that day, people were in a funk, and here's what happened. They might have been smiling, but I couldn't even, like, you couldn't even sense this. It's so quiet. And I don't know what was going on that day. Sometimes, doesn't it seem like we walk into a place where God's working, and that's the atmosphere. You see, we can't just say, well, there's just a little party going on in here. I'm just really happy. This is good. It, it's expressed. It's proclaimed. Guys, there are good reasons to celebrate. You see, there was a pastor, this isn't me because I don't like to golf, but there was a pastor who loved to golf. And on one Sunday morning, he decided he was going to ditch church. So he called his associate pastor, one of the elders, and said, hey, I can't preach, I'm not feeling well. And he didn't go to church, and so they filled in for him. But he knew, I can't golf in in this town if I'm going to get away with this. So he went to the next town to golf. And he showed up at this golf course, gets to the first hole, 450-yard hole, and he tees off, hits it. Gust of wind comes up right at the same time as he hits it. Happens to take the ball the whole distance, hole in one. So an angel turns to God and says, why did you do that for? And God looks at him and says, well, who's he going to (laughs) tell? You know, hopefully your reasons to rejoice are not like that. But we have reason to rejoice like this. How about some good family events and things that happened in your family? Maybe it's moments when your kids had significant spiritual things happen or in your life. Moments in a church where we've seen God happen or happen to work or things that he's done inside of a church body. Our salvation. Do you mark that? Do you rejoice in that? Does that come back to you often? We never get tired of the gospel and going back to the fact that a marveling that God has saved us. Answers to prayer. Victories when, when we saw ourselves not fall into a sin that we've repetitively fallen into. We've turned to Christ and he's given us victory in that. Worship. We're going to cover more of those in just a few moments and I'm going to ask for some participation in a little while. But there's much reason to rejoice. And when we have history with God, we have even more reason to rejoice. Have you ever thought about that? The more we walk with God, the more reason we would have to celebrate. Therefore, maturity in Christ actually leads to deeper celebration. And people who have more to talk about and more to, to rejoice in, not less. You see, the most celebrative people should be the ones with history with God. Isn't that good news? That as I age, I do not have to become the grumpy old man. I could become something completely different than what my flesh would lead me down into and what is kind of the natural tendency of what I see around me. But what is modeled for us in Scripture is also commanded of us in Scripture. I don't like to be bossed around. So when the word commanded is used, I get a little bit uncomfortable. And I also start to think, well, are we getting legalistic now? Are we going down that route? Well, I'm using that word, but I'm using it with this reminder that we obey out of love because we have been loved. Therefore, I'm going to obey lovingly back to him with joy and with a freedom to obey. And look what he leads us into. It's good. So why do I say it's a command? 
Well, let me start here. Celebration is rooted in a verb, English class, a verb. A verb is an action, something we do. It's rooted in a verb, and that verb is this, rejoice. We rejoice. To celebrate is to rejoice. Philippians 4.4, it's commanded. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. You see, God is not telling us, well, if you want to rejoice... Or when you want to rejoice, do it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now let's get real. Every day, do you feel like rejoicing in the Lord? Do you go through circumstances like me where that just seems unrealistic and difficult to do? The call to us, the command to us is rejoice. But as we look at this verse, we're going to find some things that will help us in the midst of this. But he's telling us that. And he says it as if he's saying this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And hey, knucklehead, in case you didn't get it, I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Don't forget what I'm saying here, guys. Why is it a command? Because he said it this way. And so why is it, I would ask, that the world seems sometimes so comfortable with rejoicing and Christians do not? Why is it acceptable for us to rejoice over the Denver Broncos, but then not be so... Somebody somebody get an amen going in there. But yet not hoop and holler when it comes to what God's doing. We walk into church and it's like we change. Something flips in us. I know that may not be fair to quite say, because there is joy. And I'm not knocking us on that. But do you feel that same kind of thing going on sometimes we do this we might walk into church and we've just been so happy about something else and i come up to mark and say mark has a brother who doesn't know christ and mark says to me my my brother just trusted christ and and just this past week he prayed to receive jesus as a savior and here's what we often do that's nice brother that's awesome congratulations that's good might smile but don't you think that it's worthy of a heavenly celebration we ought to be like the most joyful people. And, and it's just expressed, it's brought out. That's awesome when that happens. So we can have a joy that is far greater than that. We don't need to use something to lose our inhibitions. Instead, we're rooted in having joy in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? It signifies this, because you are the Lord's and because of what he has done. That is the foundation on which you stand. You see, our joy is not rooted and found in our circumstances. As long as we look for joy and happiness in circumstances, we will be on an endless quest that will never give you something to stand upon. It'll never end. It's more than just a moment in time where I can be rooted and established. This is permanent. It can be a forever thing. This phrase, this idea of rejoice in the Lord is kind of the equivalent of the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for what he's done. It's rooted in the Lord. But to be rooted in the Lord, rejoicing in what he's doing, you have to do something in particular. And that's this. Look for it. What is God doing? Where is he at work around me? Do I notice those things? Do I celebrate his look? And then do I rejoice his work in the world? And then do I rejoice in it? So 
what are we? Do you find yourself ever becoming the grumpy Christian who is baptized in pickle juice? I don't know how that happens to us sometimes. And I'm not talking about self-help here. This is about the glory of God and reflecting him to the world. I'm on a Facebook prayer group with people from across the country that are, I mean, I don't even know all except for one person. I don't know anybody else in this group. But somebody asked for prayer this past week for their dad. Their dad hadn't been going to church. And it had been a long time since he'd been in church. And recently, just a couple of months ago, he went back to church again. And her concern came from what was happening to him as he went. So he, she says he started randomly fasting. And in that, he found he could lose weight. So he had turned a spiritual discipline into something where what he was really after became about losing weight. Which, I mean, it's good to lose weight if he needed to, but that had become the focus. And she describes about a change that was starting to happen in him as he was going to church. And so it was like he became very snippy and judgy, she says. And that's only heightened in the last couple of months uh, since he began that. And she goes on to say about how he started now to complain about everything she does. She, he's, he's now looking at her kids and because he's lost weight, he's calling them fat because they're not like him. She, he's beginning to tell her and her husband about how, how bad their kids are and how they need to discipline them better. And his focus is on that. He now is, is focused on what's always wrong everywhere. And he's in this constant mode of criticizing. And he'll argue and, and constantly bring in reasons why he's right in all these things that he's saying. And she's confused, going, why is church doing this to him? Why is it that he's emerging like this? He complains about his own life. He complains about other people. He complains about other people who complain. And he's just pointing the finger constantly is what she is describing in here. How is it that even a Christian can get like that? I mean, how is it that we could just go down that route? Well, left to ourselves in our flesh... That is what we'll do. And even Christianity without the Spirit of God will turn sour. And criticism and judgment, superior attitudes and a complaining and a depression and a nitpicking and a cynicism will just kind of start percolating out of us. And it's so easy to get in a habit of complaining, isn't it, church? To look at everything else and what's wrong and what's wrong with them and what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with the people out there. And we just start pointing the finger. But what we see here, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, is like a lifeline tossed out to us when we're bobbing in this sea of sin, of complaining and grumbling. In the same book of Philippians it's Philippians two fourteen through sixteen. It shows you the the wrong reference on the screen. Philippians two fourteen through sixteen says, "Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life." 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing. As the Spirit of God works in me and I respond to him and I stop my tongue and my attitude from a grumbling and arguing, in the midst of this world, it'll make the church stand out because it puts the work of God on display because it's so abnormal. This, these couple of verses sit like two sides of the same coin. They go together. Rejoice instead of complaining. If you stop complaining and instead rejoice, you will begin to reflect the character and the glory of God, just like the stars do. They twinkle. They shine. People notice them. They stand out. We would stand out because of it. And the world will marvel at a church that is like that. A rejoicing church is Christ's glory. I'll say it again. A rejoicing church is Christ's glory. Can I get an amen? That is God's glory is when the church is rejoicing. As we rise above the natural man by the power of God at work in us, he is seen. So how do I rejoice this verb? Well, God who commands us to rejoice also provides the means for us to rejoice. He provides it in the inner man. He actually gives it to us. Galatians 2.22, the fruit of the spirit, is love. You say it. Joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Celebration, like the other disciplines, starts on the inside and then it flows out. And it comes out in this word called joy that's provided to us by the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Joy is a noun. It's a thing. To be joyful is an adjective, right? It would be a characteristic of us when joy fills who we are. So this fruit of the Spirit called joy can be produced in us. He actually produces it in us when we give the Spirit control of our lives. What he'll do is help us to move our focus from our circumstances, hoping that that produces joy, that I'll be happy in what's happening around me. And instead, he turns it to something completely different. And he says, you will find joy in me and in what I am doing. And that's where true joy will, will be found. Remember last week when John Stumble was talking about, you will find that there is a floor to our sorrow as believers. This is it. This is that floor. It's that place. This deeper foundation than attempting to be happy because of my circumstances. What happens for many of us is that we begin to look at the party and hope that it will produce joy in our life. It's this past week, my kids showed me a Studio C video of the accountant's party. April 16th, the day after tax day. They put together this room that's all decorated, has all the lights and all the fun of a party. But it's accountants. Sorry, accountants. Anybody an accountant out there? Forgive me right now. It's accountants. They come in the room, and it's kind of picking on accountants here. And they all walk in. They have it all. All the atmosphere is right. And they stand around together like this. Good party, isn't it? Yep. A lot of fun. I'm really enjoying this. And nothing happens. And they just kind of stand there, and they all look at each other. 
sometimes we have to come to the realization this is that it's actually the people that make the party, not the decorations. It's not the things around us that actually make the party and the joy. You see, joy does not come from the circumstances, although circumstances may aid in finding joy. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces joy. In worship, the sound, the lights, the band, that is not necessarily worship. They don't make us worship. You are the worshiper. They can help us, but you are the worshiper. You sit around the Thanksgiving table, the turkey, the family, the nice china. They don't make Thanksgiving. You do. And what God's doing in you, they can aid in giving thanks, but the thanksgiving is really found in you. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There again, the Holy Spirit is the provider for that. So celebration starts as an inner fruit born from God. How does that happen? Well, we have to ask him to produce that. We have to give ourselves to him that the spirit would have control of us. Many of my days, most of my days begin with me talking to God and asking the spirit to have me. Giving myself over to him, giving up control and asking the spirit to have full control of who I am. There are some days where there's something very specific when I'm praying that, that I'm asking him for. And sometimes that is joy because I don't feel joy. Joy is not a feeling. And I'm looking for God to produce a joy that would emerge out of me. And I ask him for that. So let's drop this all into the real life of a Jesus disciple. Would you go over to Romans chapter 5 with me? I want to look at a couple of verses to put this into real life and then we'll be done here. I want to read to you the words of the first 11 verses here. And you'll notice that three times the word rejoice pops up in this. I've read this passage numerous times and delighted in this passage numerous times. But what I never saw was the connection between rejoicing and salvation that's described in these verses. So as I read them, I'm going to give you permission to do something. River of Life Church. Are you ready? I'm giving you permission to give me some amens, some rejoicing, some woo, whatever, clapping, whatever you want. Matthias, are you ready? Okay. Okay. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to give some couple of comments, and then we're going to come back to verses 2 through 11. Verse 1. Therefore, just testing you. (laughs) Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean to be justified? It's to be declared righteous, that we're right with God. Justification is God's declaring that those who have received Christ are righteous based on Christ's righteousness applied to them. It's imputed to them. It's a marvelous thing that happens in the life of a person when they trust Jesus as Savior. It's a legal transaction. If I walk out of here today and I'm so excited to get home and eat hot dogs or whatever for lunch... Just threw out something. If I want to get home and I'm going down Patterson and, and I'm tearing down, going west out of here, and I decide to drive 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, and a cop who also happens to be a judge because he's got to be God in our story, okay? He pulls me over and he writes me a ticket, and I have to show up for court. 
because I want to defend myself. And I show up and the same guy is the judge who also is the cop. And he looks at me and he goes, Brian, you're guilty. And I say, yes, I am. I know, but I don't want to pay the ticket. I, I don't want, this is unfair. That's like us, isn't it? But what if that judge stood before me and he didn't look at my ticket and go, I'm just going to stamp it and say innocent or paid or whatever. Instead, he says, Brian, you're guilty. We both know it. And instead, he takes out his own checkbook and he writes a check from his own account and he applies it to that. Applied to me. That's justification. I am justified before God through Jesus Christ. And therefore I have peace with him. A peace because I was an enemy of him when I was in, Christ, uh, in my own sin. Before I had trusted Christ as my savior. Salvation changes everything. Do you know Jesus is your savior? That you have peace with him? It can be yours. Peace and joy are a twin blessing of the gospel. As the old preacher put it. Peace is joy resting. And joy is peace dancing. You like that? As I go through these next couple of verses, 2 through 11, as I read them, many translations use the word rejoice. Like the ESV that I'm going to be reading from. But some of your translations may use the word boast or glory in. The word used here is the same idea. It all comes back to this idea of rejoicing. It's grounded in God. Not anything else. And it means this idea of taking pride in something to boast about, to glory in, to have or to show a satisfied contentment with an achievement or a, a thing that's happened. It's very close to this word rejoice. So that's why many translations use the word rejoice. There's three of them. Look for them as I read this and pray it, praise it out as I say it. You can, say, you can rejoice out loud here, okay? Let's get a little charismatic. Ready? Verse 2. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So now I go back to this. We rejoice in our sufferings. And, we, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. There he is again, the provider who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen? Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen! Three rejoices, three reasons to give, give, joy, or give, give celebration to the Lord. Do you, did you see him? Verse 2, verse 3, verse 11. Why do I possibly have reason to give celebration for? Let's look at those. One of them is this, hope for glory, verse 2. I, I have hope of God's glory, in God's glory. Do you see it? Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
This glory that we will one day see, if you're a believer in Christ, you will one day see fully revealed. You can actually look at it one day in heaven. You will see it and you will know it and you will worship and it will be, it will be everything beautiful to you. It'll be your life. But we know it in part now. And how do we see it in part now? We see it in salvation. We see it in the work of his church and his people. And I see it in you, church. As I look at his work, it's in part now. And I see his glory now. As I look around, the discipline of celebration looks for reasons to celebrate God's glory. And when you spot it, what do you do with it? You give thanks to God. You praise him and you worship him for it. We, we turn it back to the Lord. We do that most often by being together. I don't know how you can survive as a follower of Jesus and say, I don't need the body of Christ. You need it so badly. The more ingrained I become in the body, the more I have reason to celebrate. Because I know the people. I know the work. I know what he's doing around me. It fuels it and, and praise pours out of me. We heard it this past week uh, over a couple of things. One, a week ago, we heard the work of the Alliance around the world and how many people are coming to faith just every couple of seconds, somebody trusting Christ. Last week, I praise and I celebrate God for this. You gave about $1,600 to help the Sing Files with their car fund. That's worth praising God. Somebody clap. That's worth praising God. I'll tell you what else. Here's another thing. This past week, a bunch of you guys were praying for a 15-month-old baby who one day, you got a, if you're on the prayer chain, you got a notification that we need to pray for this little girl. She was not doing well. She was in the hospital and going downhill. I was called in there and went in. We prayed. A bunch of you prayed. People from around the country prayed. Within an hour of being there, her, everything had turned around. That's the glory of God. She went home the next day. All I can say is God responded to the prayers of his people. And we worship him for that. You heard the stories of Child Evangelism Fellowship just a couple of minutes ago. And you got to hear that and and praise God for that. I even see it in this lobby redecoration thing that we're doing and the painting and all that out there. As God's church comes together and people use their gifts... Gifts that sometimes some there are people in our church body who have gifts like workmanship, craftsmanship, and they go, where do I apply that? Because it's not teaching. It's not those kinds of things. But you're using those in this. Yes, we are spending some on this, but you guys are doing so much coming alongside. I see it in the donation of things for it, the products and the materials for it. I even see it in God giving us favor with businesses that have no connection to River of Life who go, I think we can cut you a really good deal on this. And they're not making much on the job. And they're willing to do that. That's God working in all of those things. Even just, that's just another one. Do you have some things where you see God at work either in your life, somebody else's life, or in the world? Participation time. Turn to somebody around you and tell them where you see God at work, where you see his glory. Especially find people who no one turns to and make sure you go towards them because we're kind of spread out in here, okay? Turn around and say that. I actually had to wrangle first service back from this after they got going. So we'll see how I do with you guys.
Okay, about 30 more seconds. All right, guys, this is a sweet fragrance to the Lord as we talk about and encourage each other by pointing out where we see God working and what we see him doing. And what a cool thing to, to hear that from each other and be mutually spur one another on. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 pointed out another one, and that's this. Christians are so backwards from the world because we rejoice in our sufferings. No one wanted to say amen the first time I said that, but we rejoice in the midst of that because we know what it produces in us, ultimately leading to hope. But it's in the suffering that we're meeting Christ. It's where he's, he's blessing us. We actually rejoice in the middle of suffering, sometimes as an offering of worship to him. When you give an offering, if you put it in financial terms, when we give an offering to the Lord in our tithe box, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? I'm choosing to do that because I know he reaps a harvest out of that. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, Paul is talking about his own suffering. And he said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast or rejoice all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We boast and have reason to rejoice in our suffering. And it's in John Stumble's story that we heard last week. It's in my story. And it's in most of your stories. Because we know we can actually rejoice in the midst of it. We won't rejoice if we think suffering is the sign that God has left us. Or he's not there anymore. We won't rejoice if we're looking just simply for happiness that's founded on happenings in our life. We rejoice because we know what he's producing. A.B. Simpson said, There's nothing that glorifies God so much as for a weak and helpless man or woman to be able to triumph through his strength in places where the highest human qualities will fail us and to carry on in divine power through every form of toil and suffering. And so we don't go, Oh, bring it on, bring more. But we do say, I can rejoice in the middle of it because I know what he's doing in me. And finally, this verse 11 said, God, we can rejoice in God himself. Do you see it there? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can rejoice in God himself because he has reconciled us to him. I love how Eugene Peterson in in this loose translation called the message put it because it brought out some of the life of that. And he says it this way. We are no longer content to simply say it in plodding along prose. My rejoicing is far more than just a plodding prose. Instead, he says, we sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. We proclaim it to him. Never get tired of the gospel. Never get tired of the fact if Jesus has saved you, that he saved you. It's the same concept as Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Thursday morning men's Bible study. Jerry, I don't know if you're in here. Have you guys gotten to Galatians 6 yet? They're going through Galatians. Jerry, he must not be in here. Anybody from that Bible study? Are you there yet? Not gotten there yet. Okay. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast or rejoice except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Has he saved you? 
We rejoice in his salvation because God has reconciled himself to us. The spiritual disciplines are not work and drudgery. They're joy. They're life. Today, we have a little different type of worship. On Monday, Matt came in and he said, Brian, I've been thinking and just looking at where we're at on the schedule and who can be a part of this this week. And our worship team has really poured it out. What if we just do me playing guitar and Lauren playing keys and, and maybe a box drum? I was like, no, it's, it's, we're talking about celebration. We need that. We need everything. Let's make it big. And then I started talking and thinking as we were going together and, and on this, going back and forth about it. And I thought, you know what? I wonder how often we're relying on the decorations, the stuff. Joy comes from within. So if we actually just go with that and have just a pared down worship time this morning, and that's what we're going to do to finish with. And then we have a little update from the elders on something. Matt's going to come up with the worship team. Yes, we're going to just sing. And church, would you do this? I'm not here to grade you on this, but would you do this simply? I'm going to sit in the front and would you sing with joy that isn't all the stuff, but it's simply about Jesus, you and him. Ask him for some joy, see if he'll give it to you and let's proclaim it back to him.